the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. We have college football in less than a week. Yay! Round of applause. It, the summer took so long, and I'm so glad it's over. Um, I'm not a hot person, and now I'm just... The sweating can end, and the nachos on Saturdays and watching football can begin. Um, on that note, I'm Joe Londrigan, Western Kentucky Conference USA blogger over on Underdog Dynasty, SB Nation's home for G5 football, and today I am joined by my uh, fill-in co-host, Mr. Eric Henry. You may have seen his stuff on Underdog Dynasty the last couple months, our FIU beat writer and a uh, proud UCF Knight. Thank you, Joe, for having me. And let me start off by saying thank you for the shout-out on Twitter about the hard FIU coverage that I've been giving all summer long. Uh, it's been a challenge to kind of cover the team, but you know what? Uh, that's why we're here at Underdog Dynasty, kind of crank out the content. And, yes, I am a proud UCF alum, go Knights. They are the reigning, defending, undefeated national champions. But, of course, I'm unbiased here. So, <laughs> But, yeah, thanks for having me on, Joe. Uh, yeah, we're all clearly unbiased. We know this. <laughs> uh, I mean, our fan base will be sure to tell us different, but we try to be unbiased. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've noticed that in my in my short time with Underdog Dynasty that, um, despite what uh, what fans think, they seem to think that we are uh, firmly against their program. <laughs> I've I've taken on the chin pretty hard from from uh, some FIU fans who, believe it or not, I'm a huge fan of the program personally. I love what they're what they're doing down in Miami, and Butch Davis is doing great things. So uh, I, I have nothing against FIU fans. I just am a knight, and uh, I'm not ashamed to state that I am a knight. But all right, FIU, come on, kind of lay off me a little bit. So, so yeah. Well, okay, so it was it was a bit of a rough transition because, uh, as I said in my in my Twitter bio, I I do state that I am a knight, and and I try, you know, all jokes aside. Um, I I try to be unbiased. I think I am unbiased, and I'm not sitting there saying, hey. You know, FIU is going to go 0 and 12 or 12 and 0, and I don't say the same thing about UCF. However, um, some FIU fans were kind of laying into me when I, when I, I think in the in our initial uh, getting to know each other phase, um, they they definitely thought that I, I was just you know looking down on them, and and for better or worse, UCF fans have been a little. Um, a little stiff to the rest of the college football landscape over over the uh, off season. So I think they kind of took me as another UCF fan. But now that we're past the getting to know you phase, I think we're uh, I think we're on good terms in this uh, in this relationship. So okay, so the relationship's off on a good foot. Got a little rocky start, but you know, as most as most relationships do. Is that what you're gonna say? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. As most do. Sure. Yeah, um, as we kind of get ready for the first week of actual football here, we got Rice and Prairie View A&M on the docket, 6 p.m. local time in Houston on Saturday, August 25th, just a few days away. Uh, personally, I think Rice is going to win this one, and they get the program off to a good start, uh, despite there still being a little uncertainty with certain position groups, uh, quarterback, for example. I think there's reason to be confident, and this is exactly the kind of opponent you want to start with when you're still figuring things out. Uh, from what I've read, it looks like Jackson Tyner is going to be the starting quarterback. Whether or not he keeps that job, you know, we'll find out. But uh, Prairie View is not a terrible offense, so it won't necessarily be a shutout, I don't think. But I think I'm taking the Owls 24-10 to 10 here. Eric, what do you think of this game? 
Joe, we're going to, well, you know what you did? You did say 24 to 10. So it wasn't exactly like you had it as a blowout, but I'm going to push back a little bit. Uh, am I, am I predicting a Prairie View A&M upset? No. So I, I don't want Rice fans to, to light me up here either. However, um, this is a rebuilding, a rebuilding job for Mike Bloomgren. And for Rice fans, I think patience is, is really going to be the key as they're making the transition from, you know, that run base spread to more of a pro style offense, which personally speaking, I love the change in philosophy down there in Texas because it's going to be easier to find talent to run that offense if you're Rice. The key phrase is if you're Rice. Now, if you're Alabama or some, you know, national powerhouse, sure, you can go in and grab any athlete you want. However, if you're Rice, I think you, what you want to do is go ahead and start off, get a running back, and they have four of them. So, you know, they have four guys who ran for over 400 yards last year, so it wasn't like they're, they're lacking talent there. Start from the inside out. Get an O-line, get a D-line, roll with your running back, and then go from there. So once I just want to preach for Rice fans, patience is going to be the key. Um, as far as looking at this match with Purview A&M, this isn't the same team that lost 80 straight games in the 90s. You know, and then, and may or, or may or may not know that Purview A&M is famous for having lost 80 straight games in the 90s. Uh, this is a team that won 21 games in the past three years under Willie Simmons, who left to go to Florida A&M. Um, and Rice can't stumble to an in-state foe as far as, you know, getting the rebuilding project off to a good start. With that being said, I'm going to go and take Rice by a score of 13 to 10. Okay, so you think it's going to be a pretty close game then. Now, uh, tell me, I'm not super up-to-date on my FCS teams. What do you know about Prairie View A&M here? Prairie View A&M, they're out of the MEAC conference, and if you know anything about MEAC and, and HBCUs or historically black college and universities, for those who aren't familiar with the acronym, uh, you're going to get a lot of option, a lot of wishbone, a lot of flexbone offense, and that's what Prairie View A&M, a, Prairie View A&M has run. They ran that, ran that offensive success under Willie Simmons the past three seasons, and you want to look for more of it now this year. Um, they're a team that ran for over six, 1,600 yards last season, and uh, I think they're shooting for over 2,000 this year. So it's a team that can run the football well. What's going to be the challenge with Rice, honestly, is going to be the size, as is usually the challenge with most FCS teams going up against the big boys. Uh, they just don't have the size on the offensive and de- defensive line. But I'm going to give you an ana- uh, uh, analogy from the 2017 season. FIU took on Alcorn State in the second game, uh, which was a game that was actually moved. It was supposed to be a home game for, for FIU, and it was moved because of a hurricane. Yeah, FIU struggled in that game for three quarters and ended up winning 17-10. to 10. That could be what you're seeing here with Rice if they choose to take Prairie View lightly. That's fair, and I, I think I agree with you on the size front in terms of um, Rice's linemen probably having some sort of an advantage there, uh, particularly Zach Abercrombie is a guy who really – kind of impressed me over the last, I don't know, just from what I've noticed him doing over the summer and in fall camp. And uh, I mentioned it the other day, but he had probably my favorite line of uh, Conference USA media days with they were showing tapes of him working out as he was talking, and he kind of looks over to the monitor and goes, yeah, when my bald head looks like a sweaty milk dud, you know we're going hard. So <laughs> yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a nice one-liner, Joe. Of course. Um, but I think – Rice football is kind of headed in the right direction, and I think um, you know a victory against this FCS team is is going to be a step uh, towards ultimately what they want to do under Mike Bloomgren. Um, so the next game we got on the docket is uh, UAB Savannah State. Wanted to get a preview in of this game in case we don't get the next pot up in time uh, for that game, but 
The Blazers host the Tigers 7 p.m. local time in Birmingham on uh, Thursday, August 30th. And I think this works out well for UAB in that this is also a tune-up game similar to what Rice theoretically has in store against Prairie View. Uh, but Savannah State was a three-win team last year, and I don't see them really having the firepower to keep up with the Blazers. Uh, this is a program that lost to App State 54-7 to in the season opener last season. And uh, the score, I think, should be something close to that in this game against uh, UAB. Um, just with that firepower in UAB's backfield, uh, both because UAB is good and Savannah State gave up almost 200 rushing yards per game last year, I'm thinking UAB wins this one 35-7, if not by more. You won't get any pushback here from me on that, Joe. I'm not going to be a contrarian on this one. Uh, you are correct in Savannah State, you know, coming off back to back three win seasons. This is a team that, you know, to be quite blunt, uh, they're more focused on getting out of, uh, Alabama, of getting out of Birmingham without any injuries. And so they can start MEAC play as opposed to thinking they can get an upset here. Uh, anything is possible. You know, I'm sure you could have a, uh, an App State Michigan, but you know, I wouldn't look for it here. Um, to give you a score off the, off the top of the head. Uh, I would look for something closer to 42 to 10. Maybe they put up a late touchdown, but I've got to agree with you 100%. Uh, personally, I'm a huge AJ Erdley fan. Uh, I think he is ready to take his game to the next level and he has everything that you love in a quarterback. He's efficient. He's a guy who completed over 60% of his passes last year and doesn't turn the football over. And then right behind him is the man in Spencer Brown, over 1300 yards, 10 TDs. What's there not to love about him? And I think he's looking to have a phenomenal uh, sophomore season. And another point about UAB that I, I think uh, is kind of going a little underreported, you can't say enough about Bill Clark sticking out at UAB. You know, in this college football landscape in which you have coaches who leave and, and you know, they, they are able to leave. That's why they have agents. That's why they're able to make moves. But you got to love a guy like Bill Clark who, when the program was shut down, when the times got tough, he stuck with it and his players responded. And this era of, this era of college football coaching turnover, uh, you got to root for a guy like him to – possibly win the uh, CUSA West. I UAB has been my pick to win CUSA West ever since we kind of started talking about this next season a few months ago. Um, and I couldn't agree with you more about the job that Bill Clark's done at UAB since he kind of, um, you know, got back in it, back in the saddle with this program getting resurrected and all that. Now, let me ask you a little bit more about UAB's backfield. We all know Spencer Brown um, and the year he had and the high expectations we have for him this year. But uh, let me ask you this. Kingston Davis, the uh, the big boy in that backfield, um, people know him, of course, from uh, Last Chance U Season 3 this past year and maybe getting a little underutilized at the JUCO level and, um, you know, maybe not not showing his full potential when he was at Michigan prior to that. Do you think he's going to play into the offense at all at UAB this year? You know, Joe, it's kind of tough, right? Because you, when you have a talented guy like Spencer Brown, who ran for over 1,300 yards last year, the rest of the backs, I believe the second leading rusher for UAB last year had uh, 326 yards. That was James Noble III. So, you know, are there going to be opportunities for Kingston Davis to touch the football? That's the key. With that being said, six foot, 250 pounds. You do know him from last chance. You, what's there not to love about him? Uh, especially as a change of pace back. I just don't know if he's going to have, I mean, he'll have an impact maybe in, in short yards, maybe in goal line, but I don't think he's I don't think UAB, honestly, is going to be a team that's going to have 2,000-yard rushers. Um, and to be honest, I, I think their offense probably would run better with Spencer Brown being the uh, the bell cow toting the, uh, toting the rock. 
Sure. I, I never really had, you know, visions of a Reggie Bush, Lendell White kind of combo. But right. I, I figured right. um, just having that kind of feature back and then having someone with kind of a contrasting running style to what we see with Spencer Brown, I, I think my first impression was I think this is going to end up working out well for them, whether, you know, he'd be, you know, a lead backer or kind of like a, a fullback tight end combo or something like that. Because, I mean, that kid is big. <laughs> He is, he's definitely a big boy, Joe, and, and he's a native Alabamian, so, you know, great for him to be back home, uh, playing for the Blazers. And yeah, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to conjure up images of Reggie Bush, you know, running against, uh, San Diego State with the ball behind his back and then Lendale White punching it in. But, uh, with that being said, I, I think he's a guy who, like I said, short yardage, goal line, maybe look for 400 yards rushing from him, you know, a couple TDs. Uh, just a nice depth to have at UAB. And just in case, I don't want to speak it into existence. But just in case Spencer Brown maybe goes out for injury, you have a guy who was a talent back. Very true. Always good to have depth, especially uh, going into the season like this, because, you know, you never know. Um, but that kind of wraps up our previews of these two kind of week zero-ish games, and I'll uh, certainly have more on the rest of week one and uh, the opening games coming up next week. But moving forward, We'll talk a little bit more about some uh, projection for the upcoming season. Earlier this week on uh, Underdog Dynasty, our own Jared Kalmus put out a list of uh, underrated players within the conference, and I just kind of wanted to go through a few of these and see which ones really stand out to you, Eric, and uh, which ones that we disagree with, which ones we uh, particularly, I think, are good picks. So I'll, I'll start with... FAU, Jared's pick here was Harrison Bryant, the tight end. And for me, I almost think you could say any of the receivers on that Owls team. Uh, Willie Wright is a guy that kind of comes to mind. And I guess you could say because he's a preseason second team all-conference guy that he's not necessarily underrated. But still, there are a few really talented guys within that group of pass catchers for FAU. And I feel like they haven't necessarily gotten a ton of hype over the last few months because of Devin Singletary in the run game. And, Joe, you're not wrong there because when you have a guy like Motor Singletary runs for 32 touchdowns and 1,900 yards, he's going to get most of the shine. And until you said it, I hadn't even really considered to think of a guy like Willie Wright because, like you said, he's getting a little bit of attention. Now, I do have to go ahead and confess a bias here. Um I'm a huge Jalen Young fan, and I, I know that by definition you say underrated or, you know, a guy is a sleeper, can't necessarily be someone who, who could potentially be a first-team conference player. With that being said, all of the attention on defense is going to the linebacking core or motor, motor singletary, and I think a guy like Jalen Young, to be honest, who was my sleeper pick to win defensive player of the year, is the most underrated player for FAU. Um Joe, I'm a, I'm a believer in that a ball hawk at safety can change the entire defense. And of course, you know, Aziz Al-Shahir, 146 tackles, two and a half sacks. What can't be said about the kid? He makes plays all over the field. But when you're a quarterback and you know you've got a guy, especially the last line of defense back there at safety who had seven interceptions, you know, you, I think you're that much more cognizant of making mistakes, not putting the ball up there for grabs. So my pick for FAU would be Jalen Young. But once again, I, I can't push back on a Willie Wright because he is someone who, who, depending on what the quarterback situation is at FAU, could have a big season. That's interesting that you bring up, you know, Jalen Young and just the safety position. And 
I agree with you because people forget how good that FAU pass defense really was. And I really can't tell you why. You know, they, with the amount of pass heavy offenses in Conference USA, they shut the vast majority of them down. And I believe they led the conference in interceptions last year. I could be wrong about that, but it seems like every time I would watch the highlights from their game, there would be a clutch interception in there or some type of athletic play from a guy like Jalen Young. So I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. I think um, just because Devin Singletary is such a, a stud, um, it's almost like most of that team is underrated because there's just so much talent. There's not, there's just not enough time to really give enough praise to all the guys on that team. And, you know, I'm sure people will make fun of me for saying that, but I mean, that is, that is just such a good team down there. I don't see how they don't repeat as champs this year. Well, Joe, you're right. Um, I just looked it up really quick and they did lead the, lead the league in interceptions with 21 last season. So you're, you're spot on there. And I'm going to go ahead and, take it as far as this far uh, with the FAU pass defense. I don't know about you. I'm really looking forward to that FAU-UCF matchup. I think that will be the G5 game of the year. I think the key matchup, and I don't want to start getting into game previews of FAU versus UCF. However, what could lead the Owls to pulling off the upset in Orlando would be that pass defense versus Mackenzie Milton. Um, they definitely have the ability to shut down the UCF offense. So I'm a huge believer in Jalen Young. And, and, yeah, that, once again, would be my pick. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm really, really looking forward to that Owls-Knights game um, coming up in a few weeks here. Ugh, so excited. Um, so for FIU, I, I believe you might have thrown this name out there when we were kind of talking about it amongst all of the UDD guys, but uh, Mr. Shondarius Phillips, uh, do you want to kind of sing his praises a little bit, or do you have somebody else that you think might uh, fill that spot of FIU's most underrated player? Okay, FIU Twitter, please, please don't come after me for this, all right? Um, I love Sean Darius Phillips as a player. He is a game breaker. He is definitely the, the, the speed back to Napoleon Maxwell's power. The two guys who I threw out there, um, when we were discussing underrated players were Maxwell, but also Stanley Thomas Oliver III. Now, uh, if I may get on my high horse here for a second, you're talking about a guy who in 2016 was an all-conference freshman performer as a wide receiver. He led the team, uh, I believe he had seven touchdowns and over 700 yards receiving as a freshman. I know he had the seven touchdowns. And in 2017, he only suited up six times. I don't know if that's because of injury or maybe just got in the doghouse with Butch Davis. However, all reports coming out of FIU camp for 2018 is that he's made the transition to defensive back seamlessly, and Butch Davis said, that, quite honestly, he's kicking himself for not making that transition earlier. Now, if you bear with me for a second, this is a guy who I think, when you look at, at the measurables, 6'2", 185, 190 pounds, long and rangy, who does that remind you of, of a college-wide receiver, talented, athletic, but then switches to DB and makes a jump? Richard Sherman in Stanford. Now, I'm, I'm, not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying he's going to be Richard Sherman. I want to make that perfectly clear. But he has that type of potential when you look at his similar size. And quite frankly, the kid is one of the best athletes on a team. He's a guy who ran, runs a 4-4 40-yard dash, you know, is a guy who can leap out of the gym. He's a playmaker. So if they can get that right, which was the FIU pass defense really suffered last year, if Stanley, Stanley Thomas Oliver III can be that lockdown corner, look out. 
and especially if a guy who really went to the witness, prote- witness protection program last year uh, as a sophomore, I'd like to see him bounce back as, as a junior. So that's my pick. Um, yeah, you make a great point about just what an advantage like length is at that position. So, you know, I, I think the Richard Sherman comparison is, is pretty spot on, even though we don't necessarily know that he'll quite reach that level. But I, I think that's a pretty apt um, assessment of who this kid is. Um, speaking of, you know, just based on physical gifts, um, I think I threw this name out there and, um, our old buddy, Fle- uh, Fletcher Keel kind of threw this name out there as well. Um, Aquan Dean, Western Kentucky tight end. I think this kid's due for a pretty big year. Um, he's 6'4", 230 pounds. I think he's going to be a great red zone target for whoever ends up winning that long-term starting quarterback battle. Um, especially in an offense that's overall probably going to struggle a little bit, but he's got the physical tools to make everything happen for him, especially on those kind of plays where it breaks down and you just need to dump it off to somebody. Um, cause that's really it, not necessarily that this was all of Dion Yelder's plays, but I feel like part of the reason Dion Yelder really shined for Western Kentucky's offense last year is because he was a big target. He was easy to find. Um, when Mike White's protection completely broke down about, you know, 12, 13, 14 times a game. Um, so I, 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 you know, I don't see things getting that much better immediately for Western Kentucky. And I think that's going to open the door for McQuan Dean to kind of repeat Deion Yelder's success. Completely agree with you. We're on the same page here. Uh, Mike White's a guy I saw, uh, firsthand being based uh, out of Tampa here. I saw him when he was at USF. And then I thought that he would do great at Western Kentucky. And, uh, you know, Mike Wandine, when you have a guy like Mike White, who is in the NFL now throwing you the ball, doesn't hurt. But let's just talk about the physical attributes, as you said. 6'4", 250 pounds. I'm a huge fan of the big tight end, huge target. Um, he's a guy who runs a sub 4'5", four, 40-yard dash at that size, which is just freakish athleticism. Uh, and and he's, he's a strong guy. He can help in the run game as well. So I I can't disagree with you. I'd look for a big season. I know I think he only had about, what, 10 or 11 grabs last year? Uh, yeah, so he's a guy who you want to look for. As, as the offense is finding his footing, as a quarterback, who's your safety valve? That tight end. So I would definitely look for Mike Dean to have a, a big-time season. Uh, definitely, I'd say, I'd hopefully at least double the the uh, production as far as receptions. Uh, a guy can stretch the field as well, so I'm I'm all on board with Mike Dean. Nice. Um, as we kind of go through this list, were there any that got put out there that you particularly really uh, disagreed with? There weren't. Well, okay. Before I say there weren't too many that I disagreed with, because uh, I thought it was a pretty solid list. Um, at Old Dominion, Miles Fox, you know, once again, he's as, as a defensive tackle, you can really affect the game, especially when you've got a guy like, uh, like Ziminez on the, on the outside. But, I'm a huge Stephen Williams fan, you know, Joe. Um, to be a 17-year-old and, and take snaps at quarterback, uh, what can you say about that, right? That's a kid who's typically typically a high school junior, and he's playing D1 college football. Um, so it, as underrated as a quarterback can be, I'm a huge Stephen Williams fan because he's a guy who towards the end of the season, as you would expect from a 17-year-old starting college quarterback, found his rhythm, found his footing, and really turned that corner. So I, I would look for Stephen Williams – as opposed to Miles Fox. Outside of that, I'm pretty much on board with the rest of the picks, and and a pick that I, I really liked as well for Rice was Jack Fox. 
because they're a team that is transitioning and they're going to rely heavy on the run game and the passing game might not be there as it was last year, play field position. Nothing like a good punter who can uh, change the field. So I, I was a huge fan of the, of the Jack Fox pick with Rice. I completely agree with you on the Jack Fox pick, and I had it in my notes that I wanted to bring that up. Um, top 15 nationally in punting average, had six of his last attempts go for over 50 yards, and he's a pretty good kickoff specialist. Uh, the kid has great ability, and you know I, I know it's hard to kind of win one of these starting punter jobs in the NFL just because these guys hang around for so long. I mean, hell, we just saw uh, John Ryan finally get shown the door in Seattle after 10 years, and that made me really sad. But um, the kid that they got out of Texas is great. I think that'll work out well. But anyway, the point is, I think being a, winning a starting punter job in the NFL is really hard, and I think Jack Fox definitely has the tools to do that. And obviously as a punter, you're not going to get a lot of the media attention or whatever. So I, I completely agree with Jared's Jack Fox picks as well. Um, I think that was the only one that uh, I really wanted to kind of highlight. And I agree with you on Stephen Williams as well. We've talked about it plenty over the last year or so. Um, but I think being a 17-year-old starting quarterback at the FBS level is just so hard. And I, you really can't sing enough praises to the kid that really did his best with a team that was kind of trying to figure out a lot of things um, in terms of their roster and their offensive tools. And... He, he, it's not that he even really had a terrible year, so I think he only has room to go up. So I think we're on the same page on that guy. Absolutely. And, and once again, being that young, he's a guy who's 6'4 and 215 pounds. Can you imagine when he grows into that body as a senior and he's, he's 6'5, 240? <laughs> the potential is, is, yeah, the ceiling is, as Michael Jordan said, the ceiling is the roof. So <laughs> the potential is limitless for Stephen Williams. Correct. Correct. I'm very okay with it. Um, but let's go ahead and um, kind of go through the next thing that we had on the docket was the Conference USA roundtable that we kind of threw out there. Um, I think we were all kind of in the same – we all kind of talked about this quite a bit when we actually had the chance to do it. Um but you think the surprise team in Conference USA this year is going to be FIU. So for the Panther fans that are mad at you for whatever you said before, I think they can be happy in saying, you know, you think they're going to do well this year, right? <laughs> I, I would hope that that they would agree with me. And, I, and like I said, you know, in, in the in our initial getting to know each other phase, I think it took a while. But now that that uh, that we've gotten to know each other, I think they won't be mad at me. FIU, all jokes aside, Joe. Um, most national prognosticators are, are choosing to seem to be a three or four win team. Now, I can understand why, right? So let's go ahead and take this piece by piece. When you look at the advanced statistics, this was a team that was really driven by Alex Magoo, who's now playing up in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, and the defensive line. And that's probably true, right? You know, numbers don't tell the entire story, but the advanced stats do, do tell that on first down, this team was average. On second down, the team was slightly above average. On third down, the team did really well. And on third and longs, which, you know, for those of you who are listening to this don't know, uh, third and long are defined passing downs, of course, are longer than third and six, third, so your third and sevens, third and eights, et cetera. This team was above average. To put that in English, Magoo really made, you know, chicken salad out of chicken, you know what. 
Uh, and, and there were multiple plays, and, and which is evidence if you watch tape of this kid, in which he did. The defensive line was a good to borderline great defensive line, and that's before the additions of Talon Humphrey and Tier Tate, the two-star G- Juco guys. So to bring it around for 2018, why I think this team will be a surprise team, they bring back a lot of talent. They're bringing back five starters on the offensive line. Look for guys like Tony Jones, um, who was a guy who missed all of last year at the running back position, to go ahead and step up in addition to Napoleon Maxwell, in addition to Sean Darius Phillips, in addition to Devontae Price. Wide receiver, a name you should look out for is C.J. Wharton. He's the younger brother of former UCF Knight J.J. Wharton. He was at Florida and suited up in, I believe, 11 contests, only had a handful of grabs. But he's a guy who was awarded a scholarship by Butch Davis. He's had a phenomenal camp. But the real reason that I'm picking this team to win at least seven games, the additions that Butch Davis has made in the offseason. I mentioned Tate and Humphrey. James Morgan, the former Bowling Green quarterback, he has all the tools. You know, when you when you think of a quarterback in your head, you're thinking of a guy who's 6'5", 230 pounds, rocket arm. That's what Morgan has. A late pickup they had was Edwin Freeman, the dynamic uh, outside linebacker, former Texas Longhorn. He's a guy who injuries kind of riddled his, uh, his Longhorn career, Joe. But in his first start against Texas Tech, seven tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, and a sack and a win. So clearly he's done it on the big-time stage. I look for him to make the move down to, well, down, quote-unquote, to Conference USA and really put up uh, big numbers. So this front seven is going to be the best in Conference USA. You can mark that down right now. So that's why they're, smart. they're my surprise team. That's fair. Um, I, I think there's a few teams that can kind of do better than I think people think they're going to be. But in terms of, like, who's going to win the league, I still think it's it's FAU all the way. Um, but from what I said, I, I think Marshall's going to be pretty good as they were last year. Um I don't think North Texas is going to be quite as good as a lot of people seem to think they're going to be. Um, and uh, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago on this show, but Old Dominion, I think, has the potential to bounce back in a pretty pretty noticeable way compared to what they did last year. Um, in terms of a breakout player, um, I said it's going to be Dean, but we, we sung his praises plenty already. Um, your thought was Furman Silva. Um, do you want to kind of talk a little bit about what you expect from him this year? Sure. And just to finish up uh, what you mentioned earlier, Joe, uh, I want to make it clear. I am picking FAU. I'm not that much of a contrarian. I'm picking FAU to, to win the league. Uh, FIU was my, was my surprise team, so I just want to make that uh, that point clear. I'm not that bold. Um, but as far as, <laughs> yeah, as far as breakout player uh, Furman Silva, he already was the star of the FIU defense, but specifically with the additions – of Freeman, Tate, and Humphrey, he's a guy who you're not going to be able to double-team, Joe. And he's already 6'4", 245 pounds. He already was a guy who gave you 50 tackles and, and uh, seven sacks last year and double-digit tackles for loss. I'm predicting that Silva is a guy who can have over 70 tackles, uh, let's say about 12 sacks. Uh, he's a guy who really should be in the double-digit in sacks anyways. He is going to jump on the scene in a huge way. And quite frankly, he's my pick for Dark Horse Defensive Player of the Year. So I'm a huge Furman Silva fan. He has all the tools, and with the additions on defense, you're not going to be able to double-team him. That's very true. People forget uh, how deep that like defensive line and that front seven is going to be for FIU this year. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what that unit can do, um, particularly with these these new guys like uh, uh, Spencer Tiertart from the, the JUCO ranks and 
Um, there's just so many names within that defensive line and that linebacker group that I think are going to be a problem for some people this year. So definitely looking forward to seeing what that FIU defense can do. Um, in terms of offensive player, I think it's going to be Mason Fine and Aziz Al-Shair. Um, and you think Jalen Young from FAU, who we already talked about a bit, is going to be your defensive player of the year, right? Correct. Uh, just, you know, quick note, because we already uh, covered him earlier in the podcast. Uh, I just think that his numbers have the potential to be so great that you can't overlook him as a DB. Uh, you're talking about a guy who already had over 70 tackles last year, seven picks. Uh, the interceptions may go down because obviously opposing quarterbacks aren't going to look to toss it his way. Um, but you know, if you get a, if you get a year where maybe he has over 80 tackles, maybe you can throw a couple sacks in there. And if you get five or six interceptions, yeah, that's my, uh, that's my favorite right here. So. Nice. Um, the other one that I wanted to kind of hit on was the most likely power five win for conference USA this year. I really think it's going to be Marshall over NC State just because the herd get the wolf pack at home. Uh, Marshall's offense is losing a little bit of that firepower from last year, particularly at that tight end spot with Ryan Yerichek gone. And then of course their quarterback. Um, but I, I think just the fact that that offense has more talent than NC State's defense in their current state, I think that's Conference USA's best bet. What about you? My pick was North Texas over Arkansas. I think, to be quite frank, uh, Arkansas, the team that's really, really going to struggle this year in the SEC under Chad Morris. Uh, I know the trendy pick seems to be for some. Uh, with our predictions, Marshall over NC State, which is a solid bet, uh, was a trendy pick. And, you know, if you check the uh, social media, a trendy pick seems to be FAU over Oklahoma. But I think North Texas is going to roll into uh, Reynolds Razorback Stadium. And I, to be honest, I don't think it's going to be close. I think they're going to win by two scores. My reason for that is Arkansas, not to, you know, kind of show too much of an SEC bias. They're a program who's always kind of been middle of the road in the SEC. With that being said, their fans tend to think that they should be among the SEC elite. And that comes maybe from the, uh, the Houston nut, uh, days. They're a team that's going to be looking forward to playing Auburn the following week. I don't think they're going to pay nearly enough enough attention as they should to Mason Fine and the lethal North Texas offense coming into town, and I, I think they'll be in for a rude, rude awakening. Probably so. Um, North Texas's offense, I think, is is good enough to definitely win a few games this year. So hopefully they can make it happen against uh, the SEC opponent. And the last thing I wanted to talk about with over under we talked about two and a half teams experiencing a coaching change this year whether we would take the over or the under on that I think we all kind of said the same thing in that Brad Lambert is probably gone and that's the only definitive coaching change in Conference USA next year now I say no for a lot of reasons but do you think there's any chance Brad Lambert keeps his job going into next season Joe, I, I, you got to give Brad Lambert credit because he started the, uh, the program there at UNC Charlotte and he deserves credit. And to be quite honest, it may not even be his fault. They may have made the jump to FBS too quickly because they were doing quite fine in FCS. Uh, but they've been abysmal since joining Conference USA. There's no other way to put it. So with that being said, you don't want to sound like you're calling for someone's firing, but no, I don't think there is any other way that Brad Lambert can keep his job unless miraculously they win five games, which I don't think any of us see happening. 
to be <laughs> so uh yeah i i don't think that there's really any way that brad lambert can keep his job and you know UNC Charlotte is a program that's kind of in a in a unique spot, right? Because you're recruiting in that in that area against the North Carolinas, the South Carolinas, uh, in that kind of you know the deep South area, and there's enough talent for them to be good. However, is there enough talent for that for them to win Conference USA? I don't know. That, that's why I made the point uh, as we did our article that they may have made the jump to see USA and FBS football too quickly. I would completely agree with that. And you, I'll, I'll give Brad Lambert credit for what he accomplished at the FCS level and being the first guy to kind of lead this program into the FBS era. Now, I have said plenty <laughs> over the last year or so about what I think of the job he's done since that and what I think the steps that administration needs to, has needed to take for a couple years in order to get that program righted. So I won't do too deep a dive into it, but I'm just going to say I agree with you in that I do not think Brad Lambert will be the coach of the Charlotte 49ers next year. Um, so that is all I really had in terms of talking about projections for Conference USA moving into the new season, which, again, is less than a week away. I'm so excited. Um, Eric, one of the traditions that we have here is um, at the end of the show, we try to end things with um, just one more topic suggested by uh, the guest or the co-host um, can be about anything at all. So do you have a, a guest topic you want to throw out there for the last little bit of the show here? All right. Kind of put me on the spot there. I, I did not have anything in mind. However, uh, as I'm scrolling through here, um, you know what, Joe, how about this? Uh, as, as a quote unquote biased UCF Knight, um, let, let's, let's kind of, let's kind of take this, uh, two ways. One, and it could be quick, yes or no. Do you believe that FAU goes into Orlando and beats UCF? And two, um, something we talked about in our article, um, do you think what's more likely that FAU doesn't win to USA or that they earn the New Year's Six bit? I think for one, I think it's more likely that uh, FAU gets the New York Six bid because I do not really see a scenario in which FAU does not win Conference USA. Um, that being said, I think UCF will probably win that game just because, you know, I think... FAU is just going to run the table when it comes to the league games. But I think what we're going to end up seeing is a little bit like last year in that they just need a couple weeks to really get it going. I think it's going to be a really close game, but I think uh, UCF is maybe a little bit deeper on offense. So I think that's going to play to their advantage. And, it, it you know, it also helps that they're at home. So... I think UCF is going to probably take that, and I think it'll probably be one of FAU's two losses on the year, along with Oklahoma. So, Okay, okay. Um, going to touch on those really quick. I think UCF does win. I think that game is much closer than many people think, including UCF fans. I think that's a one-score game max. Uh, I think the deciding factor actually won't be the passing game because, as I said, FAU's pass defense is really good. Uh, I think the deciding factor will be the run game. 
while FAU has a phenomenal linebacking core, as I stated earlier, Adrian Killings is a dynamic back, and I think he makes a play, whether it's in the running game or in the return game, that gives UCF the victory. And I think FAU will not earn the New Year's Six bid, and that's not because of their own doing. With the benefit of hindsight, you know, and, and for those listening, we wrote this article before the the polls came out. Um, to be honest, I was not expecting Boise State to be the second, if there were going to be two G5 teams ranked. I was expecting it to be FAU and UCF. Seeing as how FAU wasn't, that now plays into my thinking as to what the view of the college football committee may be. And not that those, not that those are the same voters. I just want to make that clear, but the national perception of FAU. So FAU may have a much harder time if Boise State is able to hang tight and, uh, earn a New Year six bid. So that would be my reasoning. Not that FAU is going to have a down season by any stretch of imagination, but that they may just have too much competition among the, G- the G5s. Yeah, that was kind of my thought as well. I was a little surprised that FAU didn't at least crack that top 25. But, you know, I, I guess just, you know, Boise's not a bad program by any stretch of the imagination and have had some pretty good success in, in the last few years, last year included. So, I mean, again, it just surprised me just based on everything that FAU was able to do last year and the fashion in which they did it. I mean, you know, just going back to how they played against North Texas in both of those games, which was, you know, playing the second best team in their league and they demolished them. So Absolutely. That was interesting. But, yeah, I, I don't think FAU will get the New York Six bid just because of how they're starting off in this poll. And it's it's hard to kind of catch the eye of the committees of those things if you don't, you know, go undefeated in the way that, like, UCF did last year. Um, but, you know, I, I if they put on a good show against Oklahoma – maybe not win, but put on a good show and then somehow win all their other games. I think that is how they'll get the New York six bid if they get it, which at this point I'm going to say they don't do. And, and I'm right there with you, Joe. And just, you know, really quick, uh, finish the thought on the, uh, the NY six bid. I think it's a shame, Joe, that, and obviously, you know, we're, we're guys who, who write for underdog, underdog dynasty. So we're a fan of, of, you know, the proverbial little guy. I think it's a shame that these G five, G five teams, and I've had kind of some, back and forth with fans on Twitter of numerous teams who feel that they have a shot. These teams essentially have to a go undefeated B win most of their games by two scores and C uh, have to play, have to quote unquote play or beat a powerful team, whatever that means. Uh, I think that does a great disservice to leagues like the American and the CUSA who quite frankly, you know, they're talented leagues. Um, I don't want to have SEC fans kill me, but, you know, uh, SEC teams, you have three or four teams at the top who are really great and the rest of the teams who aren't really a, a challenge for the conference. The same can be said for any league. So I think the fact that the onus is on these G5 teams because of, quote, unquote, level of competition to not only have to go undefeated but do it in an impressive fashion, that's essentially what the BCS was, right, with the computers, where you had to win but win by 20 points. And, you know, strength of win and whatnot, you know, those things aren't supposed to come into play with the playoff. It's supposed to be, do you win? And, and leave it, you know, let the chips fall where they may. So I think that, 
I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go into a diatribe about what I think my ideal playoff would be, but the onus is too hard on G5 teams to really, uh, to make an impact in the playoff. You got it. <laughs> oh well. But, uh, so that is going to kind of wrap up this week's edition of the Conference USA podcast. Moving forward as the season gets going, expect one of these bad boys every week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that and subscribe to the Underdog Podcast on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter, and uh, get updates on the show and all the other content we make for the site. Uh, thanks again for joining me, Mr. Eric Henry. And uh, again, keep up the great work. Really happy to have you on board. And uh, usually I give my co-hosts the opportunity to kind of plug their social media and do a little sign-off line, so the floor is yours. All right. Well, just want to reiterate, Joe, thanks for having me. You know, on short notice, uh, it's a pleasure to come on and make my uh, my maiden voyage here on the uh, the podcast. Hopefully, you will have me back if uh, if the opportunity allows. And you can find me on Twitter at Eric C Henry underscore. I will be providing, uh, you know what, the most in depth coverage that I can provide. I won't say out there, but the most in depth coverage that I can provide uh, for FIU football and my thoughts on UCF football and all things else. And uh, hey. If you're a fan of G5, you can find the best coverage at Underdog Dynasty, so keep an eye out for us. Thanks for having me, Joe. Of course. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll see you in a week.